As children develop, their brains mirror their parents' brain. In other words, the parents' own growth and development, or lack of those, impact the child's brain. As parents become more aware and emotionally healthy, their children reap the rewards and move toward health as well. Daniel J. Siegel Welcome to the Lost Traveler podcast. I am your ever-loving host, Henry Cameron Allen. And today I have a special friend joining us. We're actually, we're new friends. We're just meeting now for the first time. So you get to experience that with me. Uh, her name is Laura Reardon, and she's a uh, child behavior specialist and an emotion coach. I'm really excited to get into that. She's a childhood anxiety coach and a parental coach. And so, uh, and she has her own... Uh, Company, Laura Reardon Coaching, and I'll put the link in the description down below. Welcome to the Lost Thank Traveler Thank you so podcast. much for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thrilled to have you. So you're based in Massachusetts, my old stomping grounds. That's right. Born and raised? Born and raised, yes. Wow, that's so great. Unlike, unlike you, who's traveled a few other places. <laughs> yeah, I am the original lost traveler. <laughs> but I found myself here in Spain, and I couldn't be happier. You know, I have, I was in Massachusetts for a long time. And um, uh, for my listeners in Mass, sending a lot of love. I had the Folklore Theater Company up in Gloucester for about 10 years, and uh, it was hard to leave. I have to be honest, Massachusetts is a really, um, it's a special state and quite yeah. unique in, in. Yeah, yeah. well, in up in Gloucester is a, a beautiful spot right on the, right on the water there. And um, we were joking before we came on that you were, you know, on the North shore, North, North of Boston. And I'm in a town called Situate, which is um, sort of the exact opposite, uh, uh, you know, South of Boston. So kind of similar feel to the towns, you know, fishing towns, towns right on the water. Um, so yeah, they're beautiful. They are beautiful places to be. It's like, it's like walking on a movie set. It's surreal. Yeah, yeah. It's surreal. And of course the, the ocean is amazing. What, yeah. um, what got you into, uh, into your work? What was the, was there a pivotal moment that you thought, in your youth, ah, this is this is why I'm here. Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned youth because I wouldn't have thought to have started my story there. But um, the truth was, is that I always I, I didn't follow the path I thought I would, but I always wanted to be a therapist. And mm -hmm. I remember when I was 18 years old and I was, you know, thinking about what college to go to and what major to go to, uh, what, what to major in. I remember being really clear for an 18 year old on what I wanted to do, which is mm -hmm a little bit of a funny path and it didn't of course turn out quite that way as is as is often the case but I had a very specific path in mind I wanted to major in psychology uh, which I did at Northeastern University in Boston and and I wanted to work in human resources for a period of time. I had an uncle who was a very successful um human resources uh, executive and it really the the work fascinated me and I was really interested in doing that and I recognized that being a therapist is probably a job that takes a little life experience and maturity in addition to the education and so I think I just always had that track in mind well um, you know I did get to have my um 10-year career in human resources and it was everything that I hoped it would be and then I had children and um things took a different path. And I ended up um, quitting my job and um, I opened an at-home daycare and um, I raised my children as I, you know, as I, as I, you know, ran the daycare. And then eventually as the kids got older, I started working as a nanny. Um, but really it was none of that that inspired my work that I do now. It was, it was my work as a parent really. And for me, I have two children, a boy and a girl. They're both grown now. My daughter's a freshman in college and my son just graduated college and he's living in his first apartment. Wow, um, so exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in their growing up years, they're both deeply feeling kids. 
a lot of big emotions and um, the way they would react to their emotions would be to lash out or to shut down. And there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of chaos in our home and there was a lot of chaos in, in the various relationships in our home. And it wasn't what I dreamed of. Um, I always envisioned the home as being a very safe place. I wanted to create the home as a very safe haven, a place to, to be and to feel safe. And it really, it didn't feel that way. And so um, I became, I started to, you know, I initially I just kind of did all the, all the things you do as a, as a parent, you uh, read books and you do Google searches. And I mm -hmm. tried to educate myself about, okay, how can I teach my kids the skills that they need um, to respond to their big emotions in effective ways that, you know, will support creating um, peace in our home. And I was also very cognizant of wanting to do this work and teaching them these skills so that they could have the knowledge and the skills to create um, peace in their future homes and in their future relationships. That was, you know, a real a big a big part of the puzzle in my thinking. Um, but I was struggling and I, I really, I, I tried my best, but I wasn't, I wasn't, what I was doing wasn't helping. We even um, reached out to a family therapist and to be honest, that wasn't helpful either. Yeah. Um, so that, that is probably the pivotal point when I decided to, um, sort of to take to take it um you know take it that step further i guess you could say mm -hmm. and i became certified as a child behavior specialist and and i became trained as um an emotion coach a childhood anxiety coach and a parent coach and i took everything i learned and i sort of put it together in a very unique way that fit what spoke to me and what i felt would work for my family yeah. and i learned over time um, how to do what I really was so passionate about doing, which is responding to um, big emotions and challenging behaviors in my home in a way that built emotional regulation in um, in myself as a parent and um, and for my kids. And um, and then you know, in time, Laura Reardon Coaching was born, and now I share what I've learned um, with other parents and and coach them and figuring out what speaks to them and how they can implement that in their own families to um, you know to create peace in their own families. So that's that's what started it for me and that was my, that was a little bit about my own journey. Balance, pain mitigation, range of motion, athletic performance, focus, memory, immune system support, and REM level of sleep. All this and more made possible affordably with no pharmaceuticals, no injections, or invasive treatments. Just socks, insoles, and patches made stronger with the tactile patterning of Vox Life products. Scientifically proven to work, and guaranteed. Now in the USA, Canada, and the UK, visit www.dianedinkmeyer.voxlife.com. That's Vox, V-O-X-X, life. You'll be glad you did. Did you have similar challenges as a kid that you saw in your own children? That's an interesting question. And I, I've reflected on that. And ironically, in my growing up years, um, my family really, um, the culture in my family was really about um, responding to conflict in a very calm and logical way. Mm. So, um, you know, so no, I didn't come with that. I didn't come with that familiarity with that culture. Um, but what's interesting is that um, my husband did for sure. <laughs> he grew up as one of five boys wow. and um, the way that they, you know, I mean, you can imagine the way five boys would, would kind of handle big emotions. <laughs> A lot of energy. Well, especially in in well western culture but specifically in america i think we're, we still struggle with 
the role that boys develop, you know, and the skills that we give them in order to handle their emotions, in order to handle communication skills and 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 all of that. I mean, it's they're not expected to be able to talk about their feelings or to to hold their feelings in a gentle way or to find gentle ways of expressing what's going on inside of them. We still struggle with that. It's the 21st century, for goodness sakes. <laughs> so true, you know, in particular here in the United States, you know, we're really in, in many ways, um, you know, we what we value is uh, logic and we don't uh, value emotions. And so we don't teach, um, we don't teach about mo emotions, we don't teach emotional intelligence. And I know that you're very passionate about teaching life skills. And yeah. that's such an important life skill. It really is. You know, the, the, the name of this podcast is the Lost Traveler podcast. And the reason for that is twofold. Number one, is that we are all lost travelers. All of us, every single one of us, we we are all proficient in certain skills and we're all deficient in certain skills. And the only person who can know and gauge where we are on that spectrum is us individually. So it's really about, it's like over the... Uh, the Oracle of Delphi, they, the, it says, know thyself, right? I mean, th this is really about knowing oneself so that we can look for those people and identify those people globally who are experts in a certain skill or other. If we want to learn Chinese cuisine, or if we want to learn French, or if we want to learn any other skill sport or whatever we go and find an expert to help us boost our skills right in whatever that that skill is we want to build where do we talk about life skills mm. ever i mean most schools don't have a life skills curriculum still today most parents as we have all found as parents are deficient <laughs> in certain key skills. And yet we are those of us, whether or not we have children of our own, we are in the parenting generation if we are 18 and over, right? Mm -hmm. So we are of the age of being able to have children and young people are looking to us for how to be in the world. They're looking for us to model behavior and skills to be able to, you know, sort of glean and, and parents are, as you know, in your work, are, are dreadfully lacking in key skills. Parent education is so vitally important in the conversation of, of raising human beings. Uh, we see that through the last few years. We see that through, you know, COVID. We see that through politics. We see it globally. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. This podcast reaches more than 35 countries now. And I'm seeing patterns emerge. Mm. And I'm seeing a hunger out there for what we are talking about, because it's not just in America that boys are, are underserved in terms of emotional intelligence. Girls as well, obviously, but, you know, talking about your husband's family and being raised mm. in a house of five boys, how did his parents handle that? I mean, that that's that's a lot to take on for anybody. Yeah, I think what what was most interesting to me that I learned as part of this process is that I think initially I thought, oh, you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty emotionally intelligent, you know, I I I respond to emotions with with calm and logic. And so I thought, hmm, I've I've kind of got this figured out. Well, it turns out I was just as um unprepared to mm -hmm. um respond to um, big emotions in an effective way as my husband. And this is what's really interesting about it is that first of all, just in terms of creating a really basic definition of what, well, my definition of what emotional regulation is, um, it, it it's rooted in um, an understanding of the purpose of emotions and the purpose of logic. And so the purpose of emotions is to communicate information to us about our unmet needs. And the purpose of logic is to 
get those needs met in effective ways. Mm. And the reason that's so challenging is because, and this um, is also rooted in um, the foundation of understanding how our nervous system impacts our behavior in an unconscious way. And so what happens is that when our nervous system perceives safety, we are emotionally regulated. We can act as our best selves. We're open to listening and learning and problem solving and um, communicating effectively, uh, communicating effectively. But when our nervous system perceives a threat, it triggers our fight, flight, or freeze response. Right. And we move to a dysregulated state. And instead of acting as our best selves, we act as our defensive selves. And so we lash out or we shut down in response. And of course, um, this is a really important part of our um, our body and our brain. And it keeps us, it kept our ancestors safe. Yes. Um, back when physical threats were were much more significant, but today it continues to keep us safe when we, we are experiencing danger. Yeah. But in today's day and age, more often our fight, flight, or freeze response gets triggered in reaction to our big emotions. Um, and so what happens is, you know, for example, for our young child who gets the blue cup instead of the pink cup or for our older kid who has to turn off their video game because it's time mm. to do homework or for us as a parent when our kid is yelling and screaming at us or or kicking their brother um it it creates these really big emotions in us and so we lash out or we shut down in response and so it makes a lot of sense and we can really, that understanding uh, can really create some compassion in, in understanding um, what's happening and why it's happening, but it's still not effective and it's still creating chaos in our relationships. And so we can learn more effective ways. We can learn to build our emotional regulation. And this gets to the part that's just sort of the, the background I needed to share to then share what I. I learned about myself, which is so interesting to me, yeah. is that what I learned is that when my kids would would lash out, um, what would happen is is no, I wouldn't lash out in response. I wouldn't start yelling and screaming, but I would shut down. I would shut down physically and oh, not phys excuse me. I would shut down emotionally. And what I came to learn is that um, the piece that was missing there. Like I, I would go straight to logic. I would be calm. And then I, I would I would go straight to logic about how we can problem solve and how we can effectively um, manage our emotions. But I would completely skip feeling emotions. Yeah. I would completely skip the integral piece of learning emotional regulation, which is building emotional strength, building our tolerance for feeling our uncomfortable feelings and for being able to be present with them without lashing out or shutting down. And that's such an important part of teaching emotional regulation. And so whether you're yelling and screaming or whether you're shutting down emotionally in the way that I was, either way, you're teaching emotional fragility. I can't handle your big emotions. I don't think you can handle your big emotions. We just need to make these go away. Go away, right. <laughs> Have you ever thought of running for office? <laughs> like at a, federal, <laughs> at, a, at a federal level? Because <laughs> we, are seeing, we are seeing the manifestation of efficiency <laughs> in emotional intelligence and emotional regulation, even at the government level, even at the For federal sure. level. And we're not just seeing it in America. We're seeing it in Brazil. You saw you saw about the riots happening in Brazil. Yeah. You see what happens when we don't meet this in the foundation years of a child's upbringing. My grandmother, rest her soul, her middle name was Pearl, and she was always dropping them, these pearls of wisdom. Yeah. But she told me, when I asked her when my son was born, what you know her advice might be, because I always I always listen to the grandmothers, you know they've they've seen some 
world history. They, they know what's up. And she said, honey, raising a kid is like building a house. It's all about the foundation. Mm -hmm. If you start with a weak foundation, that house is doomed to collapse in on itself at one point or another. You can always go in later and rebuild and reinforce, but that's very costly in time and resources. It really is better to start with a strong foundation because then the house could burn down to the ground and you can build it up again mm. more easily. I thought that was so wise. Yeah. The question yeah. is, how do we as parents in the 21st century, when, as you alluded to, video games and internet and the educational system you know uh even going to a neighbor's house even if you have that protective shell around your home in terms of all of those things if they go for an overnight at a friend's house you don't have any control over that right over what they're eating even you talk about shutting down emotionally it also shuts you down physically Mm -hmm. They are completely tied. Your gut and your brain, your heart and your brain, there are neurological cells in the heart, right? So that's the, the seat of your emotions. And it, it does shut you down physically as well. How do we give, in your estimation and wisdom, how do we give children as strong a foundation as we can in the 21st century, given all of the effects that we are seeing from the outside. Those of us that are parents or guardians uh, of children. Yeah, yeah, and in, in, my, in my time of learning, um, when I was getting my hands on everything I could and, and trying to learn all I could on this topic, I came away from that with three core areas areas where we can have influence in building our own emotional regulation and in building our kids' emotional regulation. And so of course it starts with ourselves as parents because if we're not um if we're not regulated ourselves, then it's not possible for us to be in a place where we can teach our kids how to be regulated. Right. Um, because again, when we're regulated, that's when we can act as our best selves. And when we're dysregulated, we're gonna be defensive and we're gonna be lashing out or we're gonna be shutting down. And so for ourselves as parents to start with that, and then we can talk about the kids, um, we can start with our environment because when we're meeting our needs, of when we're meeting our core needs, then we're going to be a lot less likely to get act triggered, and and it's going to be a lot less likely that our fight, flight, or freeze response is going to get activated. That's why on some days we feel um, calmer in response to things that are happening around us and within us, um, and on some days we feel more reactive, and a lot of times that's tied towards, um, you know our core needs and are we um are we getting enough sleep are we um did we start you know did, did we are we getting enough nutrition are we getting enough hydration how much news um, are we watching how much time are we spending um you know on screens right. uh, how much downtime are we getting to rebuild our energy how much time are we getting um in relationships um, adult relationships in which we feel seen and understood and accepted and can have fun and laugh. Um, it's all of these places. And, and, you know, how much time are we spending out in nature? Um, are yes. we creating time to do something that creates calmness in our life that builds our, our regulation, uh, meditation, journaling, um, whatever, you know, something that gets us in flow where we lose sense of time, you know, so these are, this is a broad brush of um, places in which we can, you know, reflect on, you know, are we getting our, our core needs met? And of course, as parents, you know, this can be a little overwhelming to hear because they're thinking, you know, I can barely get through the day and I can barely 
do the the basics of of what needs to get done. And, well, so and there, there there tends to be a lot of for for many of us who grew up in angry or violent homes, uh, or or you know in single parent homes or no parent homes. Um, it's about as adults now going in and rebuilding the foundation of our house, mm. reparenting ourselves so that we can even get to that point. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, reparenting ourselves is something that we're starting to talk a lot about. And in, um, you know, in reflecting on, are we, you know, are we feeling reactive as parents? Do we keep losing it? You know, we can reflect on what are our needs, you know, what what are what are the unmet needs that we're reacting to? We're 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 experiencing, we're getting reactive to these big emotions. What are the needs underneath those emotions? And what we can consider are those needs that are happening in the present moment? Are you know, do we need more sleep? Do we need more? more downtime and we can, you know, consider ways that we can uh, realistically uh, add some of our needs to our daily routine. You know, what are the things that we're spending time on that are not benefiting us? And perhaps we can consider replacing that 10 minutes of mindlessly scrolling through our social media accounts when we first wake up to doing a 10 minute meditation. But then we can also consider are our, our, our uh, unmet needs coming from needs that were not met for us in the past and is what is happening in the present reminding us of something that um, triggered big emotions for us in the past and now they're getting triggered in the in the present and so for example excuse me if when we were kids and we experienced or expressed big emotions and our parents shut that down or uh, minimized it or even punished it, you know, go go to your room, you know, come back down when you can be calm, then it's quite possible that our kids' emotions and uh, our kids' big emotions and big behaviors will then trigger those really, um, uh, those unmet needs and those really uncomfortable feelings and so, you know, we can, we can reflect on that. And if, and, and if, and if we think that that might be what's happening, we can, we can do something called processing your past experiences to help become free from our past experiences. You know, we can reflect on what are the facts of what happened? How did we feel about those facts? And then we can make sense of it. You know, um, we can create a you know, a resilient message around that something, obviously really depending on the person's individual situation, but something like, you know, I know my parents did the best that they can and I can, I can choose to parent, I can choose to practice parenting differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can do that through talking to a trusted friend, journaling, talking to a therapist. Um, But also to your point, Um, we can also practice reparenting ourselves. So in that moment, when um, our kids' um, big emotions are triggering us, we can, you know, at a later time, we can give ourselves what we needed but didn't get. So let's say, for example, we, you know, we lost it. Let's say we just really lost it. And um, at a later time, we can just give ourselves that compassion and that understanding that we needed as a kid, but we didn't get, you know, we can, we can have that de-shaming conversation with ourselves. Like that made a lot of sense that I yelled because this is really hard and I'm feeling really big emotions. And I know, you know, biologically what's happening. Um, I'm getting triggered in this moment and um, I'm practicing and I'm learning, but I'm, I'm human and I'm not going to get, I'm going to get it wrong a lot. And that's actually a good thing that I'm getting it wrong because that gives me an opportunity to figure out what I need to learn, what I need to practice and getting on the path towards getting it right at some point in the future. And so we can just give ourselves that compassion 
in that space to be imperfect and to feel our feelings and, um, and to, you know, to, to give us what we needed from our parents, we can, we can actually give it to ourselves. And then in giving it to ourselves, we will over time become less reactive and be able to give that to our kids um, and to give our kids what, what, what we wanted to receive as, as, as kids ourselves. And, and that is a really important piece of the puzzle in changing, you know, generational trauma. Shadow and Light LLC was established by Dave Roberts and Reverend Patty Farino, co-authors of When the Psychology Professor Met the Minister. Their mission is to empower individuals to transcend life challenges by integrating spiritual practices with psychology to achieve peace. They are available for individualized spiritual counseling, virtual or in-person presentations and workshops to universities, organizations, and other interested groups, virtual or in-person book club meetings. For further information, go to psychologyprofessorandminister.com. And it shows children by your own behavior that it's important to feel your feelings. Your feelings are valid. You are valid. This is a moment. And feeling your feelings doesn't mean that you have to live there, that you have to live in those feelings all the time, right? That this is a passing moment this is how I felt, and this is how I it triggered me to express in that moment. Now I regroup. I remember hearing all the time parents saying, you know, go to your room or uh, take a time out. But nobody tells kids what to do in their room or what a timeout means. What do you do with a timeout? Do you sit there and alone in the corner in the dark just sort of regroup naturally i mean where the where are the actual tools that we're giving these kids and not to overthink it or overanalyze it it's really about showing them right mastering it in yourself so that you can show your kid and then you can sit down with them afterwards and say i take responsibility for the way i reacted and it was not your fault my reaction was not your fault. I was triggered. That had nothing to do with you. And I'm sorry that I came off that way. Where do we hear of parents ever doing that? I think it's so important to take responsibility for our process, our deficiencies. And if we show our kids that we can recognize that we were deficient in that moment, that we can always change our behavior in the future, that that's always a possibility, you know, that that in and of itself, self-awareness, self-knowledge is a skill, you know? And, and so how do we, how do we show that to kids right now? I mean, I remember with 9-11, I remember thinking, I mean, my son was, was an infant at that time, I mean, not an infant, but he was, not watching TV and he wasn't aware of what was going on, but I was working in a school and a lot of kids heard about it. A lot of kids were emotionally wrecked and especially the young ones who would go home and their parents would have the news on 24 mm -hmm. seven because nobody knew what was going on. We were all triggered and we were all scared and, mm -hmm. and nobody told those little kids that that wasn't happening over and over and over and over and over they were seeing those images repeated and i have to wonder if that lack of holding because we didn't know how to handle it i'm not faulting anyone of the parenting generation for not doing that but but i i have to reflect on that how many other things are children privy to you know attacks revolutions violence that they may see when they're repeated in the media, how many of us are sitting down with the kids saying that was a one-time event? The people who are responsible 
are going to be held responsible for their actions and um, you're safe. Mm. You know, I, I, I wonder if, because those little kids are now adults. Yeah. And I wonder if that had an impact on their capacity for self-regulation now and that trust that everything's okay, that, that everything will be okay. Yeah, I think you mentioned so many important things I'd love to comment on and starting with what you referenced about, you know, when um, we tell kids to go to their room or go to a timeout when they're, um, you know, when they're losing it themselves. And what's interesting that I learned is that as mammals, it's our instinct that when we are feeling, you know, scared or upset by something, to be um, physically close to um, our parent or the person that takes care of us. Right. And so when we send our kids to a timeout, when they're losing it or send, send them to their room, the only thing that it really accomplishes is escalating their fear response, which keeps them stuck in dysregulation. And so you hear a lot of people talking these days about time-ins instead, or co-regulation might be another term you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And essentially what that means is what our kids need for, from us in those moments is primarily they need for us to support them in returning to regulation. And, um, and the way that we can do that is to help them feel safe, seen, and soothed. And so instead of sending our kids away when they're when they're losing it, what we can do instead is we can, um, I'll just go through this really quickly. One of the things that um, I created, a tool that I created to help kids in the moment is um, I sort of jokingly refer to it. I talk about kind of the reason, the things that are unhelpful. And this is a great example of something that's unhelpful is sending our kids away or giving them a timeout. And so what can we do instead? We can give them the VIP treatment. And what that stands for is um, validate, identify their needs and problem solve. So we can start with um, validating and recognizing uh, and responding in a way that understands that they're um, basically experiencing these really big emotions and that's what's driving their behavior that they're, you know, right now they're in a threat response and um, they're feeling unsafe. And so when we respond with the attitude of you're not a bad kid, you're a kid that's, um, you know, feeling big emotions right now and your threat response has been triggered and I'm here for you as you're learning and, and growing and, um, and, and, and learning more effective ways to, you know, respond to your big emotions. They're feeling seen, um, understood and accepted. And so whew, that's the most effective way to return our kids to a regulated state. And so, you know, that's of course the exact opposite of sending a kid to a timeout. And, and to your point, you know, you'd like to think, or not that you'd like to think, but I think that we somehow think <laughs> that maybe they're having these conversations with themselves or something, you know, these reflective conversations like, hmm, why did that happen? And how could I, how could I do that better the next time? <laughs> and of course, no, that's when you're when the when the grown-up who is towering over you and very often is taking a a a stance of power standing over the child. Right, creating right. threat. Dropping their voice, amplifying their voice, pointing, you know, get out of my space. You are banished from my presence. Yeah. Like, go to your room. That's like Rapunzel in the tower. That's like, you know, I mean, these children, their, their room is their sacred space mm. or ought to be. It should yeah. be a, a space of comfort. It should be a space of joy. It's their space. And when you're banishing them and turning it into a prison, mm. right? It 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 changes everything. It changes their sense of control. It 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 robs them of their sense of control because now I can't even control my how I see my own 
sacred space. Your generous sponsorship and individual support of the Lost Traveler podcast benefits the Lost Travelers Club, a charitable project under the fiscal sponsorship of United Charitable, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. The Lost Travelers Club focuses primarily on the needs of parents who have outlived their beloved children. We recently launched our new Brain Candy Project Wing, providing art supplies to children still struggling with critical or terminal health-related conditions. We hope to raise enough funds to launch Brain Candy, an arts and literature magazine created by and for these young people. Find out more at www.braincandy.online. Thank you. It's so hard because it's it's a big it's a big topic that we're talking about today. Um, we're seeing we're seeing all around us, all over the world. We're seeing manifestations of generational uh, parenting lack of parenting skills, um, and and it's important to change the. The conversation it's important to shift the paradigm now because what kind of a future are we condemning them to a continuation are we still passing the poison from generation to generation with the message you must inherit this because i had to inherit it my parents spanked me so you have to take it I got hit, I got sent to my room, I got punished. So you have to receive what I felt, right? We tend to project onto our children all too often those feelings that we felt and find validation in our children that we need to be in that self-parenting moment addressing within ourselves. I think that every child, I don't hear anybody talking about this, but I I have a, a suspicion that just like we talk about as adults having an inner child, mm-hmm. I think children also have an inner adult. Mm-hmm. And that is, again, it's another skill building opportunity. Like with every challenge comes opportunity, right? So here, if we start recognizing that every child has within them an inner adult that has the capacity to self-regulate their emotions. And we meet them somewhere at that that level where we're meeting them as their their age, right? In an age-appropriate way, but also remembering that they are going to grow up into an adult, that they are building their toolkit now. The more of those tools at an age-appropriate level that we can give them in their foundation, the better off they're going to be once they leave the nest, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's interesting what you said about, you know, for, for people that were raised in a household where emotions were or any behavior was punished and and for example for those people who were spanked and then so that continues in the next generation it's so complicated because you know I imagine that no matter what um thing you know you experienced with your parents growing up you know what you'll often hear people say is well you know um I grew up with that and and look at me, I'm fine. I turned out okay. <laughs> I turned out okay. Yeah. And it's and there's two things there. There's one, two things happening. And one is that, you know, we love our parents so much, no matter what, no matter what happened in our growing up years, we love them so much that we feel defensive for them. You know, like we can say anything about our parents, but nobody else can say anything bad about our parents. Right. You know, we love them so much. We get so defensive that we we even want to defend that behavior. Um, and the truth is you probably, you know, you probably did turn out okay, but, um, but where did you learn 
skills of emotional regulation and conflict management and emotional intelligence did 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 they get learned or if they got learned you know how did they get learned because they probably weren't learned in that environment and so it's not that your parents didn't try your best and it's uh, try their best and it's not that you didn't turn out okay it's just that there are um it's a missed opportunity to yeah. teach skills that will benefit you for the rest of your life and benefit everyone around you for the rest of your life and really benefit the entire world because I really do I say this but I really do feel so passionate about my intent is to um create more peace in the world one family at a time because that's really as you said it's not getting taught in the schools so it needs to start in the family yeah. And it's, you know, a really powerful way that we can impact our own home and our kids' future homes, our grandkids' future homes. Um, you know, it's 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 a powerful, it's a powerful thing we can teach. And I don't want to come across across as broad brushing, uh, you know, that all schools are bad and all schools don't teach these things. I think that some do better than others. I think sure. that. Uh, as I mentioned to you in our conversation earlier, um, I was involved in Waldorf education for a long time. And the first grade teacher stays with the children as their main lesson teacher through eighth grade. Mm. So the teacher takes on an even more parental responsibility for the education of that constellation of human beings in their care. These teachers understand the ups and downs, the challenges that each child faces. They don't have a grading system. Each child gets a written evaluation, handwritten by the teacher. These are their challenges. These are their strengths. This is, let's work on this together. And family parent involvement, and I say parent, you know, assuming hopefully that, that their parents in the picture, very often there are not, right? If they're in a foster home or if they're, um, you know, single parent or raised by their grandparents or other family members. But um, the parental figures from home are deeply involved in the education world of the children. It's symbiotic. And so many of these schools will have parent education courses and, and remedial education for children who are coming in to the school from a situation prior where they are you know, uh, having issues at home, just regulating their own emotions, or um, uh, I know that one of the things, one of the the hallmarks, and it's fairly controversial in, in Waldorf schools, um, for people who don't understand why, is that they recommend delaying any media influence in the lives of children mm -hmm. as long as possible. <laughs> they use yeah. no technology in the schools. There are no computers. There are no computer screens. They still use chalkboards. Mm. Uh, there are no calculators. Children are taught to think. They're taught to do mental math. Mm. Um, and it's done in an age-appropriate way. I remember walking into a first-grade class, and the teacher was telling a story about four little gnomes who lived in the woods. And there was you know, little uh, Disha divide. They always teach division first mm. in Waldorf schools. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Why? Because it lives in the in the habit body of the children. This this it's not just a, a mathematical concept that dropped out of the sky into a book, right? This little Disha divide had such a, a golden heart, and she wanted to share all the jewels that she mined that day with her friends and her family. So she would separate out all the diamonds and the sapphires and rubies and made sure that everybody got an equal share and whatever was left, she would keep for herself, the little leftover remainder, right? Beautiful gesture behind the mathematical equation. Little Pasha Plus was very greedy and she hoarded all her jewels. And finally, you know, she had a house full of, of oak chests full of jewels that she had to build another house, you know, and poor little Misha Minus had a hole in his pocket and he was always losing his jewels at the end of the day. <laughs> well, it's so sad, right? So all of this is tied to the emotion and it's all about teaching kids how to regulate and understand what they are feeling as it relates to everything around them. Yeah. 
this is not a commercial for Waldorf education. You know, <laughs> people used to ask me all the time, is it for every kid? And I said, in my experience, yeah, it's for every kid. It's not for every parent. Mm. I remember this one little boy who, in spite of everything, he would go home at the end of the day, be plopped in front of a TV, big screen TV, and watch Star Wars. And then he'd come in, he'd start lightsabering all the other kids. And, you know, it, it, it taught him, even though he didn't, I don't believe, grew up in a violent home, it taught him how to handle his emotions with violence. And I think that that's what spanking, that's what corporal punishment does, is it teaches children that that, that is the way that you handle your problem. And yeah, they may not exhibit the behavior you as a parent want them to exhibit anymore because they associate it with pain. Uh, but the damage that it does otherwise will come out at some point and in often very either self-destructive or otherwise destructive ways. And I think we see that a lot in our time um, because we, uh, you know, those of us in our generation, uh, I was born in the mid sixties, you know, and my grandparents were all born in the, the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they inherited the coping skills that their parents taught them. And my parents inherited the coping skills that their parents taught them. And I went the other way. I took that little vial of poison. I smashed it on the ground. I said, this was never mine. Mm. I refused the inheritance. Greetings, greetings, greetings. I'm Queen B. Divine. The cure is conversation. And where can you find me? at bluntreflections.com where I will be talking to guests from around the world that not only share their time but their insights and their tips on how they became the best version of who they were meant to be. So if you're looking for a great story and a great time, check me out at bluntreflections.com. The curious conversation and remember, blase blase means to tell your story. And for a long time, that caused a lot of upset in our family dynamic because I was the first rebel, in a sense, that said no more. And I'm the better for it. I think in the end, they came to respect and understand that perhaps they made some choices that they could have reflected on <laughs> and regulated. Um, you know, and today it's 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 a better situation, I think, than we would have had otherwise. There's a lot of dysfunction out there in, in families all over the world. And that's, you know, I, I, I love your 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 mission, your mission to bring peace one family at a time. Um, in a lot of ways, that's what I'm doing with the podcast and my other work, my counseling work. Um, I call it Guy Wire. Um, you know what a guy wire is? I don't. So we've all seen that that wall, that standing structure, and it's got cables attached to it to keep it stable. Yeah. Until it can be stabilized. Or sometimes you see a bridge that has the cables to keep it stable. Yeah. Well, I think of myself as a cable, helping people find stability in the moment that they need it. Right. And once they find the stability on their own to stand strong, they don't need the cables to hold them up anymore. Um, That's beautiful. That really, in many ways, could be a definition for co-regulation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how we learn regulate self-regulation is through co-regulation. Nobody is alone. Nobody is alone. There are people out here with the tools and the skills, right, to help co-regulate when you can't do it on your own right right, right. always out here how to do it yeah because we're not <laughs> we're not born this isn't an, an innate skill it's a skill that does need to be taught and you gave a beautiful example of of ways in which you've seen it taught you know we can we can support our kids in um you know feeling their feelings and uh having confidence in them that um 
you know, they can handle their, their big feelings and we can handle their big feelings and we can educate kids about feelings. We can, you know, help them understand, you know, depending on their age, obviously communicating it in an age appropriate way, but, you know, we can teach them about, um, why feelings are important, you know, that we can feel our feelings because when we don't feel our feelings, they get stuck in us and then they're going to come out in explosive ways, but we can feel our feelings and then we can reflect on what our feelings are communicating to us. And then we can, you know, use our logic to identify ways to get those needs met in effective ways. And when we, you know, when we teach um, when we teach this, it's just a really different way of looking at it. Um, and, you know, we don't, we don't want to be stuck in feelings. So, you know, we can teach them effective ways to respond to their feelings, but that's not by avoiding them. And it's not by reacting to them. It's about being with them and learning how to respond to them in effective ways. And that's, you know, again, that's really what co-regulation is, is, is understanding that our kids are not born with these skills and that we can guide them along as they're as they're learning and growing and that one day they'll be able to do this on their own. And that goes for teachers as well. I want to give a huge shout out to teachers because it's an uphill battle in public schools, especially where teachers are under so much duress, so much stress. It's so hard to handle a class of 40 or more kids who are all dealing with whatever they're dealing with on a daily basis. Um, you know, I wish there were better skilled teaching for 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 teachers as well. Because and as parents, we are our well, there's that book, right? You are your fire child's first teacher. Um and and we are all teachers and we are all students. And I think that's an important thing to remember, whether you're a parent or whether you're a teacher of children, is that you're also a student. You know, in the Waldorf schools, the first year of a teacher training, the entire first year of your training, the foundation of your training is in your own biography. What? Because your biography is the foundation of everything else you are and what you're going to teach and how you're going to teach and how you're going to mitigate all of the, the challenges that your students are facing on a daily basis, right? Your toolkit is a reflection of your biography. And not only your biography, but the biographies of your parents, your grandparents, mm -hmm. all the way back to the first human being, right? So... I encourage both parents and teachers to study your own biography. Let that become part of your habit body as you're forming your tools for parenting or for teaching. Um, to, to take the time to study your own biography. And what does that mean? What does that mean to you when I say that? It reminds me of a quote by Daniel Siegel and it goes something like this. Um, the greatest indicator of a child's well-being is the parent's self-understanding. And what that means to me is that, you know, we can um, we can gain all the knowledge we want and understanding and tools, but if we are stuck in getting triggered from our past, we're not going to be able to move past that until we um, have awareness of it and we um, process it and we make peace of it because awareness is step one to everything without awareness we don't have a choice and we just keep um, doing that same thing over and over again with no awareness of of why or, or what we could do differently um, and so I think that that you know I think that you're you make a very important point thank you a guy wire is a tensioned cable that is designed to enhance the stability of a freestanding structure. Think of me as your guy wire in terms of life skills mentoring. You're perfectly capable of standing stably on your own two feet, but I'm a cable that can enhance your stability. I'm available for individual or couples counseling, life skills mentorship, 
child loss, grief support, LGBTQ plus support. I can also officiate weddings, end of life ceremonies, baby namings, invocations, or whatever guidance you may need. I serve all genders, all ages. Sessions are affordable, discreet, private, and conducted online. Find me at guy-wire.org. Book your appointment today. For years, I've turned on the television and the internet and have felt bombarded with messages of support, begging for money to support children in Africa, Afghanistan, India, all over the world, war-torn countries, children are starving, not only for food, but for education and love in some cases. Um, I recently connected with Desire Childcare Organization uh, that transforms the lives of orphans and vulnerable Ugandan children in Kampala and Mukono by providing wholesome food, housing, healthcare, and creative arts education from early childhood to adulthood. Won't you join me in helping save orphans and vulnerable children? We can do it together, one organization at a time. I chose this one. Visit desirechildcare.org for more information. Thank you. I can't believe it's been about an hour. This has been such a great conversation. I'm going to have to have you back for a part two at some point because this is really great. I think we hit a lot of really important things. Normally, I, I ask my co-hosts at the end uh, for three practical tools that parents or listeners can put into their toolkit or and try to synthesize with the tools they already carry. But you've given so much already. Um, so I'm going to ask you a different question to end on. Um, there's a beautiful film that I, I've loved since childhood called The Bluebird. And there are different iterations of it. It was originally a play and then it was uh, a, a silent film, beautiful silent film. And then in 1940, I think it was, 40 or 41, uh, it was remade again with Shirley Temple. And it's all about the elusive bluebird of happiness. These children go on this adventure, this journey looking for the bluebird. Mm because they, they don't know that they can be happy without it. What's your bluebird? What's that elusive thing that you're still at this stage of your life seeking? Hmm. What that makes me think of when you talk about seeking happiness is because to seek happiness would indicate that there, you know, that there's one right feeling that the state of happiness is the right place to be. And what I've learned to do is to embrace meaning over happiness because um, to embrace happiness would really be the opposite of what I teach. I teach to embrace all feelings. All feelings are, are safe and important to feel. And um, so what we can do instead is we can pursue meaning. We can pursue, you know, we can accept that our feelings um, can be guideposts in leading us um, where we want to go. And so, you know, I feel fortunate. I, I want to, this just made me think, and I want to do a shout out to teachers too, like you, because my mom was a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, almost her whole career. So I grew up that kid at the kitchen table who used to get to hear stories, um, you know, every night, just, you know, wonderful stories about what happened in the classroom that day and, and everything. So there's no one that has more respect or compassion or understanding for the role of teachers. And in this day and age with the desperate need for more teachers, um, you know, just again, a, a shout out and a thank you to all our teachers. But my always remember my mom saying how grateful she was because she had, you know, she loved what she did and she did such meaningful work. And I can, I am fortunate enough to be able to say the same. And when I think of my role, raising my children, that for me was, um, 
the most meaningful experience I can imagine. And my goodness, anyone that's a parent knows that's not about being happy. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's the right that's the right answer. <laughs> yeah, I used to say to my kids, I remember I have memories of sitting on the kitchen floor with them and just saying to them, yeah, every day is usually kind of filled with just about every emotion you can imagine. And so right now this is what we're feeling or whatever. But, you know, and so in my role as a parent and now as um my role as um, an educator and and helping families. Um, again, um, I feel very grateful to have had the opportunity to do meaningful work, and that's what I guess. I guess I could say that's what brings me happiness, but I don't know if that's the right thing to say. Well, but that's the whole point of this movie, <laughs> The Bluebird, too, is that it's not about the bluebird. It's it's in the meaning, and it starts with you, yeah. right at the end of the movie. Spoiler alert they come back home not having found the bluebird anywhere but then they come home and they find that the bluebird was already there the whole time they just didn't see it oh beautiful right? and then they give it to a little sick girl who lives next door and the bird flies away and all of her happiness that she thought she had from receiving that beautiful gift drains out of her mm. and the other two kids put their arms around her and say, that's okay. Somebody else will find the bluebird. No, oh. but we all know where it actually lives. Right. Yeah. In, right. In, yeah. You know, so it's about, it's exactly what you, that was the right answer. It's <laughs> all about meaning. It's all about finding meaning. That was, that was beautiful and a beautiful way to end this, this lovely hour. Thank you again, Laura. And um, I'll put a link in the description to how to find you. And um, let's do this again sometime. Thank you. It was really a pleasure spending some time with you. And I would love to, you know, do this again in the future for sure. Anytime. Thank you. Wonderful. And happy new year. Happy new year. You've been listening to season three of the Lost Traveler podcast with your host, Henry Cameron Allen. Visit me online at www.henryallen.org. Thank you to all my guests and thank you to my listeners all around the world. I couldn't do this without your support. Let's keep striving for a better world together. Together.